along the way. And we've been talking about walking with Jesus. And the fact that, you know, in the church we use that, that term, well, it's my walk, I'm, I'm walking with Jesus. But we forget that, that there were people who literally walked with Jesus. That as they traveled around Israel, and we have this map of Israel up here on the side screens, that, that Jesus walked all over Israel. There was no public transportation, there was no cars. Everywhere he went, he walked, and his disciples, and then all of those that were part of his entourage would walk along with him. And so many times in Scripture we see that, 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 that the Bible says that along the way or on his way, Jesus met people. He had encounters with people that transformed and changed their lives. And, and I believe that God wants to still do the same, that he wants to meet us along the way. You know, as a culture, we, we're kind of hung up on the destination. We're all about getting to the end. What's the goal? I want to finish. But the process is as important to Jesus as the destination is. The process in our lives, what He accomplishes, He does along the way. And we have to develop a sense or a perspective where we're looking for those opportunities. It's what Jesus did, and we're going to read about that in the story this morning. If you'd open your Bibles to Luke chapter 19. Luke 19. See, we have to slow down. To walk with Jesus. I think sometimes we outpace what Jesus wants to do in our lives. I think we get ahead of where he wants to minister to us because we're so concerned about the next thing. What's next? What's, what, God, what, what's the next thing you want me to do? Where's the next place you want me to go? What's the next thing you want me to say? And Jesus is just going, slow down and just sit with me for a little while. Encounter my presence and just have a relationship with me. And so we have to move away from being hurried and impatient and living very full lives to find that space with Jesus. It's estimated that Jesus walked over 3,000 miles during his ministry over those three years and an estimated 21,000 miles throughout his lifetime. And John reminds us in John 21 that not everything that Jesus did was written in the Bible. We don't have a full account. We have a snapshot account. And so there's a lot more he did and a lot more places he traveled to and a lot more lives he encountered. And the way John says it, he says, I suppose that even the whole world would not have enough room for the books that, were written, that, that would be written if everything about his life was written down. And so we have to kind of dig in a little bit, maybe even read between the lines and understand that, that, that Matthew, Mark, Luke, Luke and John in the gospel accounts of Jesus' life are not the full record, right? The, the highlight reel. And so we have to use our imagination a little bit, which is uh, kind of what spurred this for me while I was in Israel, looking out the window of the bus, imagining Jesus walking down the Jordan Valley with his disciples, and the fact that it would have taken four, three or four days to walk from Galilee to Jerusalem. There's a lot that happened Along the way. So here's a quick recap. We've looked at a few different instances. We started out in Bethany, which is just to the right of Jerusalem, down on the bottom of that map. My apologies if you can't see the map from where you're sitting, but Jerusalem's down on the bottom, and Bethany's just to the east of, uh, of Jerusalem. Started in the house of Mary and Martha, where uh, Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus, and Martha's busy doing 
hospitality and getting the house ready and, and her concern and Jesus saying to Martha, you know, Mary has chosen the better thing to sit at my feet. Uh, we, we then went up to Capernaum just north of the Sea of Galilee uh, in the top of the map there where Jesus fed the 5,000. We went west to Cana to the wedding, the first miracle, the location of the, the first miracle. And then we've traveled, by the way, this is not the order that Jesus did it. You, if any scholars are going, wait a minute, that's out of order. Yeah, we're, we're just, this is the journey we've taken. Uh, we went back to Jerusalem to the pool of Bethesda and then back to Bethany last week as Christy spoke about Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Well, today we're headed to a place called Jericho. Anyone, anyone ever heard of Jericho? Yeah, we've heard of Jericho, right? Pretty famous city. Uh, Jericho, here's Jerusalem. Jericho is just to the east of Jerusalem in the, the southern end of the Jordan Valley. You can see a little bit better up top there. So it's just right at the southern end of the Jordan Valley where the Jordan River flows from the Sea of Galilee down into the Dead Sea. A uh, couple of facts about Jericho. It is the oldest inhabited city in the world. The oldest inhabited city in the world. Over 11,000 years that this city has been inhabited consistently over that entire period of time. Uh, it's the first city that Israel captured, the, the, the children of Israel captured after moving from, from Egypt back into Israel, into the promised land. And so they had camped out on the east side of the Jordan River, and then had crossed the Jordan in that story where Jesus dries up that river so that they can cross over. And then, of course, Jericho is the city that they marched around for those seven days and then seven times on the seventh day, and the walls came tumbling down. It is the lowest city in the world, 846 feet below sea level. Pretty amazing. Way down in this valley right where the Dead Sea is, and again, located on the southern end of the Jordan Valley. Why is that important? Well, because the Jordan Valley uh, was, is like the breadbasket of Israel because there's fresh water. See, the Jordan River flows, it, it, it's, uh, it starts and springs up on Mount Hermon, then flows down to the Sea of Galilee, and then lets out into the Jordan River. And it is a, it is a fast-moving river. There's a lot of water that flows. And so when you live in the desert... Water is important. You kind of congregate where the water is. And so there were springs all over the nation of Israel. But because the Jordan was a consistent, reliable source of water, farmers would farm right along those banks, all the way from the Sea of Galilee down to where Jericho was. And then once they had harvested their crops, whether it was dates or balsam, which was turned into perfume uh, or figs or whatever that crop would be, Almonds was one of the, their, their crops. They would gather those crops and they would move into Jericho to trade and sell their crops. And so Jericho was kind of a, a central trading post. So there was a lot of money that moved through the city. It was a very wealthy city, a very vibrant economy. It was also a traveling stop between the northern part of the nation and Jerusalem. If you were traveling from Galilee or Decapolis or up in the northern part of the country, you would come down the Jordan Valley because it was the easiest terrain. You didn't have to go up through the mountains uh, just to the west of the Jordan Valley. And as soon as you got to Jericho, this is the pass that you would then take up 
to Jerusalem. And we remember the story where Jesus says there was a man traveling from uh, Jerusalem to Jericho, right? And he fell amongst robbers. Well, that story would have been familiar because it was a very well-traveled path. It was the easiest way to travel from the northern part of the country. Uh, so there was just people constantly coming through the city, lots of vibrancy, and lots of money. Let's read this story together in Luke chapter 19 about this man named Zacchaeus. It says, starting in verse 1, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. Everyone say, passing through. He was passing through along the way, and a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. And when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up. And said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. And all the people saw this and began to murmur and mutter. He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord. Here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay them back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. I remember hearing this story when I was in preschool. In fact, we had a song. Right, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, right? And it's just a fun little story. And, and I think what we do sometimes is we learn these stories in Sunday school and they just become kind of cute. It's just a cute story. Oh, this little guy climbed up in a tree. Jesus saw him. How sweet. But there's some layers to this story that we have to understand, there's some things that happen and some, some dynamics here that are really key to our lives today and understanding the way that Jesus want to in, wants to intersect our lives today, the way that he sees our lives and sees uh, who we are as illustrated in, the, in this story. So as I mentioned, there's a lot happening. Of course, Jesus is passing through. He's headed to Jerusalem for the last time. He's traveled this route a number of times, but this would be the last time that he's going to Jerusalem because he would now enter Jerusalem as a king riding on a donkey. He would minister for a little while in Jerusalem, but then ultimately go to the cross. And so this was his last time passing through. What's important to remember about that is Jesus is on mission. This is, this is the whole purpose why he came, was to go to the cross. This is the goal that's in front of him, the task that he has to complete. And he is focused, he has set his sights on Jerusalem, and he is headed towards what would be a very painful death on a cross. Yet along the way, as he was just passing through, his journey gets interrupted. And we don't see anything of Jesus in this story where he's bothered by that fact, right? In fact, he's kind of excited. There's, just kind of, there's, there's this engagement with Zacchaeus that's pretty amazing. Now, Zacchaeus in that community says he was not just a tax collector, but he was the 
chief tax collector, which means that when the Bible says that he was wealthy, he wasn't just like a little bit wealthy. He was ridiculous wealthy. He was crazy. He was like Beverly Hills 90210 wealthy, right? Jericho 902 whatever. Um, he, was, he was ridiculously wealthy. Remember that Jericho was a wealthy community. There was a lot of money passing through. And so as a chief tax collector, he kind of had his, his say-so with, with the money of the city. And he was on the receiving end of a lot of financial wealth. But here we see in this encounter, this man, aware that Jesus is coming through, and, and there was a buzz in the city because Jesus had actually just performed a, a miracle, a healing on the outside of the city. And you can read that in Luke chapter 18. And so now the city is kind of a buzz, like Jesus is here and he's doing stuff. And it's pretty awesome. And he's got his crowd, he's got the disciples and the others that are traveling with him. And they're walking through the middle of the city. And of course, Zacchaeus, the Bible tells us he, he was a short guy. And so he can't see over the crowd and he wants to see who this Jesus is. And so he climbs up on a sycamore fig tree. I have a picture of a tree. This is actually a sycamore fig in the city of Jericho. It's one of uh, three trees, sycamore fig trees in the city that have been dated to be over 2,000 years old. So this tree was there when Jesus walked through the city. Now what happens in Israel is you have different churches and, and denominations that come in and they claim certain things. So in Jericho, the, the Catholic church, the Rus Russian or Greek, Greek Orthodox church, and then this tree uh, has been claimed by the, the Israel Museum, they all say this is the tree. And they put up a little plaque and then they charge you some money to go take a look at it. Um, <laughs> Either way, this is a sycamore fig tree in the city of Jericho. Uh, I have another picture, kind of wider view of another sycamore fig. That's what a sycamore fig tree looks like. Uh, it's, a, it's kind of a, it, it grows fruit. Uh, it's not very good fruit, but it is edible. And so it's kind of a, a, the fruit that the poorer people would have eaten. Of course, you have the real figs, which are just super sweet and juicy. The sycamore fig, uh, not as juicy, a little bit sour, but still edible, still still useful fruit. Um, and so they were cultivated. In fact, we read about them in the Old Testament. But you can tell that this tree, that the, the branches grew pretty de low down to the ground, and then it had a wide canopy and it stretched over. So you can imagine if there were a road going right past this tree, uh, the tree would have probably extended its branches over that road. And so it would have been the perfect place for Zacchaeus to climb up in the tree and kind of scoot out onto a branch. So he's sitting directly over the road. So he, and he's got a good vantage point. By the way, if you're one of the wealthiest people in the city, are you likely to go and climb a tree? Probably not. There's something about the the desire inside of Zacchaeus to see Jesus that overcomes even his status in the community where he's willing to almost make a fool of himself to get to a place, to get to a vantage point that he can get a glimpse. And so, of course, Jesus walks under that tree, looks up at him, and then has that encounter with him. I want to talk about three different perspectives this morning. I want to look at this story through three different lenses. We're going to look at it through the perspective of Jesus, 
We're going to look at the story through the perspective of the crowd, and then we're going to look at the perspective uh, through Zacchaeus, of Zacchaeus. So Jesus, what, what is Jesus seeing? Here's what I love. The crowd is pressing around him. There's so many people that, you know, I imagine the disciples are kind of doing crowd control, like get out of the way. They're like the secret service, right? Hey, move out of the way. Jesus is coming. Get out of the way. But the crowds are just pressed in all around him. So many faces, all the noise, the noise of the city, the noise of the people, the vendors on the side of the road. And here's Jesus, and as he's walking, he looks up. He looks up and he sees Zacchaeus. He knows he's there. Jesus knows that Zacchaeus is in the tree. And not only that, he knows his name. Calls to him. He, he didn't know, right? He, there was no introduction. He just looks up, sees him, and says, Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, come down immediately because I need to go to your house. But more than anything, Jesus knows this. He knows that Zacchaeus needs an encounter with his Savior. Zac, Jesus knows that Zacchaeus needs an encounter with his Savior. John chapter 10 verse 3 says this, the gatekeeper, and Jesus says this, the gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. Now listen to this, he calls his own sheep by name, by name, and he leads them out. Can I tell you this morning, Jesus knows your name. Jesus knows your name. I think one of the, the greatest lies of the enemy against God's children is this, that God's forgotten about you, that he doesn't see you, that he doesn't see your situation, he doesn't know about your circumstance, that somehow God's got busy and he dropped the ball on you. This story is such a great reminder that God sees you. He sees exactly where you are. He sees your desperation. He sees your need. He knows your name. And he knows exactly what you need. The shepherd knows his sheep and he calls them by name. Your name is important. Right? Would you agree? I, I, your name should be important. I, I hope you understand that. If we all had the same name, that would be a problem. But your name is important. You, your name identifies who you are. My, my wife loves uh, looking up names and na meanings of names. In fact, uh, Blake had a birthday this week, and one of the things that we always discuss around the birthdays is all of the names we considered. She loves to do that. Oh, Blake, if you were a girl, you were going to be this. And, or we had these other names that were picked out for you, but we landed on Blake. And, it, and it's, it's a name that we love, and it's, it's what we know you by. It's what you all know him by, and, and same for other, our other kids and for your children and for each other, that there was a name that was picked out for you. When Jesus says his name, there's something of value that's communicated. You, you know, Jesus could have just said, hey, you. Yeah, you up in the tree, right? Just, yeah, you, come on down. Hey, what, what's your name? God knows your name. He sees where you are. He knows what you're walking through. 
That along the journey of your life, that there's never a point where, where Jesus becomes disengaged. It goes on, though, that he calls him down and says, Zacchaeus, I want to go to your house. I want to spend some time at your house. Now, remember, we read at the beginning that Jesus was passing through. There's no indication that Jesus had any plans to stay or spend the night in Jericho. That he was on his way to Jerusalem. And like I said, he was on mission. He had a job to do. And so he was just passing through. Yet when he sees Zacchaeus, he stops. He changes his plans on the fly. Now I imagine the disciples, especially those who are like the driven, hey, we've got, we got places to go, people to see, things to do. Wait a minute, wait. Jesus is changing the plan, plans again? Any, any planners in the room? You're like, hey, I need to know where I'm going to be, how long it's going to take to get there, how long we're staying, right, when we're leaving, and then if we stay longer than we said, then all of a sudden I'm feeling this stress in my heart, and I'm like, this is a, wait, but you said, and I'm totally the opposite. I'm like, yeah, we'll just hang out. We'll just hang out, and uh, when it's time to go, it's time to go, right? And if we get interrupted along the way, we get interrupted along the way. Uh, It happened in Seattle a whole bunch because I'm there connecting with friends of mine that I've not seen for a while, and I know the session is about to start, but we're having good fellowship. And in the back of my mind, I'm like, I can buy the audio recordings and listen to the session later, but I can't get the relationship right now. For some people, that is stressful beyond stressful, right? We are on a tight schedule. Let's keep moving. My dad, when we would do road trips, man, he had to keep good time. We didn't have to be anywhere, but he wanted to make good time, right? Anyone relate to that? We're making good time to go and sit on the beach. Okay, that's great. I imagine some of the disciples are going, Jesus, but you, you said we were, oh, okay, fine, we're going to go hang out at Zacchaeus' house. Listen to me, Jesus was willing to be inconvenienced to spend time with one of his children. He was willing to be inconvenienced to spend time with one of his children. Jesus will take time out to be with you. Jesus is not too busy to hang out with you. Again, a lie of the enemy. Jesus is distracted. He's so busy governing the rest of the universe. Why would he have time for me? That's alive from the pit of hell. See, Jesus has time for you. He's willing to be interrupted and inconvenienced to be with you. John chapter 6, verse 38 through 40 says this. Jesus saying this, For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. See, it it, it seems at first glance that this interruption was taking Jesus away from his mission, but when we understand it fully, that Zacchaeus was Jesus' mission. 
Zacchaeus was the purpose. He was the reason, along with you and me and the rest of the crowd. We were the mission. Hebrews says that Jesus went to the cross for the joy set before him. He endured the cross. We are that joy. Zacchaeus in that tree was that joy. That Jesus' mission was to reach the lost people just like Zacchaeus. And the very fact that he had stepped out of heaven. You want to talk about an inconvenience? I'm in heaven with my Father, with the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. And now I'm stepping out of this eternal realm and, and taking on flesh. You better believe that Jesus was willing to be inconvenienced for you and for me so that we would have life. The next perspective is that of the crowd. See, the crowd had a problem with this encounter because the, proud, the crowd had a problem with Zacchaeus. They didn't have a problem with Jesus, per se, but they had a problem with Zacchaeus because basically he was robbing them of their money. He was not a cool guy to them. He's not the guy that everyone wanted to invite to their parties. Or if you encountered him on the street that everyone was like, Hey, Zacchaeus, it's great to see you. They would have crossed to the other side of the street. They would have checked their money, right, their little money pouch and made sure all the money was still there or hidden it so that he wouldn't see it. He was a bit of a scoundrel. And so he was not a popular character. See, the people were willing to follow Jesus around, but they weren't willing to follow his example. They were willing to follow him and watch the things he did, maybe hoping something would kind of splash over onto them. But when it came down to it, the crowd was not willing to follow his example. They had a problem with the way that Jesus encountered people, the way that he related to people. And so they make this statement, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. <gasps> and it's ironic, because they're in the same situation. They're sinners just like Zacchaeus. And isn't it easy for us today to look at other people and go, wow, I'm sure, sure glad I'm not like them. I'm sure glad I'm doing better than they are. And we get kind of puffed up and prideful about it. And in that very moment, we've never needed Jesus more. We've never needed Jesus more. The crowd looks and says, how could you? This rabbi, this teacher, this worker of miracles, don't you know who he is? Now they know that he knows who he is because they just heard him say Zacchaeus' name. That's enough. But then for him to say, I'm going to your house and I'm going to share a meal with you. And by the way, who of us just like people coming over to our house unexpectedly, right? Yeah, like a handful, very handful, right? I'm going to make sure everything's in order. Like Megan, if I show up unannounced with guests, it's not going to be a good day for me, right? Just give me a heads up. Let's just, I want to, I need to make sure everything's tidy and everything's ready and we've got food that we can serve. Well, Jesus comes to Zacchaeus's house and it's not just Jesus. It's Jesus and everyone who comes along with Jesus. But Zacchaeus doesn't bat an eyelid, right? He just goes, yes. And he welcomes in. Now I imagine Zacchaeus lived in a nice house. 
with lots of servants, and there would have been lots of food. But he goes into this house, and this is not the first time that Jesus has this kind of encounter with a, with a sinner and with the crowd. In Luke chapter 5, verse 30 through 32, it says this, The Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belong to their sect complained to his disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. See, the crowd just sees the men. Jesus sees something more. He sees his destiny. He sees his eternity. He looks beyond what's right in front of him. He looks beyond what the crowd sees and says, I'm going to call out in you who God has made you to be. I'm going to touch your life in such a way you'll never be the same Again, so I have a question for you this morning. How do you see people? How do you see people in this church, in your neighborhood, in your workplace, in the community? How do you see people? Do you see people the way the crowd sees them? Messy, to be kept at arm's distance, to be judged. Or do you see people the way Jesus saw Zacchaeus? With a loving heart, a willingness to go and spend time with them, to risk even the crowd and the people around you going, how can you, how can you hang out with them? Well, because Jesus would. Because Jesus would take the time. And so we see in the crowd really kind of exposes something in us that we would mutter and complain and murmur about those who are less perfect or maybe broken or <gasps> sinners. To realize what God has done for us isn't just for us, but it's meant to be passed on and shared. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And then finally, the perspective of Zacchaeus, which is, I love his perspective. Try to imagine what this was like for him. You know your own reputation in the community. You know that you're not loved. And that's not a fun place to be, is it? You know you're not loved. You're not even liked by most people. And then, of course, he's a short guy, which that didn't help either. He's got short guy syndrome going on. He's got an attitude probably to try and make up for that. And he gets to this point where he just wants a glimpse of Jesus. And I, I, we don't understand exactly what the motivation was for Zacchaeus. Maybe he was just curious. Maybe he's like, well, hey, I've got nothing else going on. Let me go check out. I just want to see who this guy is or, or just put a, a, name, a face to the name because I've heard, he, heard about him. Just kind of fascinated. Ah, I want to kind of catch the show. Or it could have just been that Zacchaeus recognized that there was a need inside of him that wasn't being met. See, Zacchaeus had everything he could possibly want. Everything. He lacked for nothing. Money and possessions, buckets, right? I have everything I could possibly want. Stature and title, status and title in the community, even though he wasn't necessarily liked, 
He definitely held a place of status. He wasn't just a tax collector. He was the chief tax collector. He had risen to the top. He was at the top of his game. He had climbed that corporate ladder, and he was doing well. Yet despite all of the things he had, Zacchaeus was still needy. He was still needy, and he knew it. He knew it. And then Jesus. And then Jesus looks at him. Sitting on that branch, kind of legs dangling, looking down. And he's like, oh, there's Jesus. I see him coming. And then Jesus stops. Whoa. I wonder why he stopped. And then Jesus just kind of tilts his head back. And then Jesus looked at him. Can you imagine what that, when their eyes met, how Zacchaeus must have felt in that moment? Maybe like grabbing onto the tree to make sure he didn't fall out. What it must, what's it like to look into the eyes of God and to know that he's looking at you? And then Jesus says his name. As if that wasn't enough, then Jesus speaks. And, and the very first word that comes out of Jesus' mouth is his name. How did he know? Did someone tell him who I am? Why, why would Jesus, why would he know my name? But he just said my name. Maybe even a little bit of doubt. Did I hear that right? But he's looking at me, so it can't be a coincidence. Zacchaeus, come down immediately. And then Jesus invites himself over. He looks at him, he says his name, and he says, I'm coming to your house. Come down immediately. Get down out of the tree and come stand and look at me face to face. And then I'm going over to your house. And then Jesus sits and eats with him with an earshot of the murmuring and the complaining. They're sitting, having fellowship, enjoying a meal, and just right outside that door is the crowd going, I can't believe it. Why is he in there? Doesn't he know who Zacchaeus is? That man is a tax collector and a sinner. Do you notice in Scripture, by the way, where it's not just a sinner? He's a tax collector and a sinner. It's like this double, double whammy for him, right? It's like this double thing going on. It's like it's not just bad enough to be a sinner, but you're a sinner. Oh, and you're also a tax collector. You're just a bad guy. It doesn't get much lower than this. And so Jesus sits with him and shares a meal. Imagine Zacchaeus. I just want to go catch a glimpse of him, and now he's in my house. And we're sitting, sharing a meal, and we don't know exactly what the conversation was. I bet it was good, because it was Jesus. But there's no record of Jesus going, Now, Zacchaeus, I need to have a talk with you about your lifestyle. He just shares a meal. Zacchaeus, what you're doing is no good. You, you really need to try harder to, to live for me. Zacchaeus, you, right, if you would go to synagogue more and if you would read the Torah more, 
you wouldn't be living this crazy, out-of-control life. He doesn't do any of that. He just sits and has a meal. And then Zacchaeus repents. He repents. Lord, I'm ready right now. I'm going to give half of what I own to the poor. And if I've cheated anyone, see, it was the reputation of the tax collectors. They would collect more taxes than was what was owed. See, he was functioning on behalf of the Roman government. These taxes would then go to the Roman Empire and were funding the occupation. The people were paying for the occupation of their own land. And the tax collectors saw the opportunity to just add on a little bit for themselves. And so for him to say, if I've cheated someone, everyone's like, well, you absolutely have because you're a tax collector. If I've cheated anyone, I will repay them four times the amount that I took. You notice that repentance for Zacchaeus doesn't look like this. It doesn't look like, Lord Jesus, come into my heart, and I pray you just help me to be a better person, and I just want to live for you. There is a point of action where he jumps up, and in front of all of these people, says, you know what, I've not been living right. I need to turn my life around. I need to do something different. And then, Jesus declares that Zacchaeus is saved. Salvation has come to this house because this man is a son of Abraham as well. Because I came to seek and save that which is lost. Time with Jesus will radically transform your life. Time in the presence of Jesus will radically transform your life every single time. I'm not talking about time talking about Jesus or just thinking about Jesus or doing stuff for Jesus or reading books about Jesus. I'm talking about time with Jesus. Time in the presence of Jesus Christ will radically transform your life. And here's the amazing thing about it. Jesus won't beat you up. That he's not going to sit and point out all of your flaws and all of your mistakes. That time in his presence just kind of brings those things to the surface. But it's not the thing that matters to him. See, Zacchaeus was desperate. He didn't know it to the degree that he encountered it. He just wanted to see Jesus. I want to check out this guy. But as Jesus invites himself into his home, and as he sits and he hears the master, and he watches the way he encounters other people and his engagement with his own life, all of a sudden he recognizes how needy he is and that the answer to his need is sitting right in front of him. No shame no condemnation, no preaching. Jesus didn't get all preachy with him. He established a relationship. And in the midst of that relationship, Zacchaeus' life 
was transformed. We need to learn to seek out time with Jesus. What lengths would you go to? What kind of trees would you climb? How desperate are you for the presence of Jesus in your life? I believe we're so distracted as a church today. I want to read the next book, listen to the next podcast, pop on that next worship song. And those are all good things. They're not bad things. But they can distract us from actually doing the most important thing, sitting with Jesus, being in his presence, having a conversation with the Lord that doesn't just consist of us asking him to do stuff for us, Sitting silently before him saying, Jesus, what do you want to speak to me today? Help me to be more aware of your presence. See, because Jesus sees you, he knows your name, and he wants to invite himself in. But he needs you to open the door to say, yes, I want that time with you. Jeremiah 29, 11 through 13. We know Jeremiah 29, 11. We love it. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you a hope in the future. And then we stop there. Why? Because we like that destination. Right? Because it says hope and future. And it says the word prosper. Come on. Amen, Jesus. Prosper me. I'm waiting for that day. But then we read the next verse. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. Listen to this. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. See, sometimes what scripture does is it puts kind of the, the, the destination first, but then it talks about the journey next. And for God, the journey is more important than the destination. Yes, he wants to prosper you. Yes, he knows the plans he has for you. Yes, he wants to give you hope and a future. But more than anything, he wants you to seek him with all of your heart. Because when you seek him, you will find him. See, God's not hiding. He's not hiding. He's in plain sight. You don't even have to climb up a tree. You don't. He is ready, he is accessible to you. Matthew 7, 7 through 8, Jesus says this, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. And the, and the Bible goes on and on and on with scripture after scripture after scripture that says that God is making himself available to you. That he wants to spend time with you. He wants to encounter you. He wants you to encounter him. He wants you to know that he knows your name. That he sees your circumstances. But he's not coming in just with a magic wand to say, you know, bippity boppity boo, everything's Okay. And turn your pumpkins into carriages. Because there's something more important to him. It's the relationship. See, when Jesus now leaves and goes to Jerusalem, and he leaves Jericho behind him, Zacchaeus didn't refer back to a great sermon 
I went out to this concert or I went out to this, this, this rally and there was this preacher there and his name was Jesus and he preached the best three-point sermon I've ever heard. And that just made such an impact on my life. And I think I'm going to be transformed. That's not what happened to Zacchaeus. Again, that's, those aren't bad things. But what Zacchaeus had was an encounter, a personal face-to-face time with Jesus encounter that radically transformed his life. I guarantee you that after Jesus left, Zacchaeus didn't just go back to his old ways. Because when you've been in the presence of Jesus, it changes you in such a way you can't go back. You don't want to go back. The things that used to hold an appeal, the things that used to look good, they don't look good anymore. They just don't. The enemy's going to do his best to try and tell you they do, but they don't. When you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, everything changes. Everything changes. So let me ask you this morning, do you need a glimpse of Jesus. I've got good news. He sees you. He's calling your name. He wants to spend time with you. Listen to this. This is so key, and I believe this is prophetic for our church this morning, at least for some of you today. He doesn't care what other people think or say. That Jesus is not scared off by other people's opinion of you. Let me say that again. Jesus doesn't care what other people think and say about you. He doesn't encounter you and then go, oh wait, that person just said that you're whatever. I guess we can't hang out. He doesn't care what other people think or say. He doesn't care about your past, your reputation, or the degree of your lostness. He's ready to embrace you, to love you, to save you, to heal you, and to empower you. That the same Jesus that looked up in that tree and said, Zacchaeus, is here today looking to you and saying your name. Hey, I want to spend some time with you. Let's hang out. We're going to move into a time of communion and invite Jock to come up and invite the ushers to come. We're going to celebrate the, this morning the act that made this possible for us. See, Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. He was on his way to Jerusalem to become the sacrifice for you and for me. See, prior to Jesus coming, there wasn't the openness. We see in the Old Testament that God had face-to-face encounters, but, but they really weren't face-to-face, right? Moses has to hide in the rock Elijah has to hide in a cave. See, because you couldn't gaze on the face of the Lord and live because of our sin and our brokenness. But Jesus came into this world and he became the perfect sacrifice for us, giving his life on the cross, allowing his body to be broken and beaten, allowing his blood to be shed so that the veil would be torn And so that the relationship with God and man would be restored. So that he could just kind of... Can you imagine Jesus just taking a hold of your face? Like you would a child. 
just kind of pulling him close and just gazing into your face and saying, I love you. I love you. I did this for you. I did this so that you can know me. I did this so you can walk with me. I did this so you could sit in my presence and experience all that I have for you. As we receive the bread and the cup today, whatever that looks like for you, wherever you're at, maybe, maybe you feel like you're on the outside of the crowd and you're kind of doing the whole, I just want to see Jesus. And maybe you're in a place where you, you're, you're close with him. And this is just... Just a sweet reminder of that. And everything in between, would you allow Jesus to minister to you today as we receive the bread and the cup? Be reminded today, he did this for you. Jesus, we thank you this morning for your body given for us, broken and beaten for us so that we would be made whole That you endured the suffering for the joy set before you. Lord, I pray that as we receive the bread today, that we would be reminded of your great love for us. That you were willing not just to be inconvenienced, but you were willing to suffer for us. Thank you, in Jesus' name, amen. As the ushers pass the trays, if you would just hold on to the the bread and then we'll receive together in a minute.